Hello and welcome to episode 14 of 6 Minute Counselor. I'm Gary and I'm your host and today we have another interview. We are interviewing Chris McMullen. Chris is a licensed professional counselor and bear with me he's got quite a few certifications behind his name. He's a CSAT which is a certified sex addiction therapist. He's trained in CPT which is a trauma therapy, CBT, EMDR, and is a Gottman trained couples therapist. Chris is the group practice owner of A New Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas. Chris is passionate about normalizing the process of getting help. He believes that counseling isn't for the broken or weak, but for everyone and anyone who would like some help reaching goals or discussing concerns they might have. Chris believes that there is no shame in reaching out for help and would like to see that stigma go away. So I'll let you know during this interview, it is geared a little bit more towards clinicians who are either in private practice, uh, would like to go into private practice, or just curious about it. But there's also some really good things for people just uh, who might be curious about what is a private practice therapist. As always, I will have all of Chris's contact information on my website, youareworthitcounseling.com, as well as my Facebook and Instagram pages. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Gary. Glad to be here, man. Well, I'm glad you took some time out of your day to meet with me, answer some of these questions. Uh, as you all saw on the episode title, we're talking all about private practice. This is going to be some uh, information for both clinicians as well as clients. So hopefully we, uh, we're reaching a, a wide net here uh, with our audience uh, listenership, for, listenership for this episode. Uh, so Chris, let's just jump right into it. Uh, so private practice, what made you want to get into private practice versus some other, you know, community mental health center, um, uh, some other arena? Uh, I, I, my dad was a entrepreneur and or a small business owner as a kid. And so that kind of influenced it definitely when I started contemplating it in uh, back in 2016 and 17, actually back in 15, 2015. Um, but uh, I got introduced to a book called How to Build Your Ideal Private Practice in uh, 12 Months by, uh, on my bookshelf somewhere, yeah, Lynn Grotsky, and uh, it re- reframed it for me because all I'd ever experienced um, or he- heard from my professors, I kind of exa- uh, looked around my grad school class and saw that, you know, it, my professors and all my friends were either going into community mental health, working for a group practice or some other thing, or non community agency. And then all my professors had four or five jobs, you know? And so I go, there has to be something better. And then in 2015, I read a book, uh, when I mentioned uh, how to build your ideal private practice and Lynn's approach really opened my eyes to say that like, as providers, as mental health practitioners, it's okay to make money at doing something we're good at. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it kind of changed the perspective because prior to that, my schooling indirectly kind of influenced that like it was more about helping people than you know being able to take care of yourself mm-hmm. you know, financially. And, those, and that book kind of said, you, you don't have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. You know? And that kind of started my journey back in 2015 to start moving towards private practice. And that's something I, I was speaking to uh, someone and they made the statement of, if you don't value yourself, don't expect other people to value you. Mm. Uh, and I was talking about setting prices and 
uh, and I remember my mom years ago told me it was for not mental health, it was for uh, coaching, and she said, if you set your prices really low, people are not going to think you're a good coach. I was like, that's, you got a point. So yeah, I, I do think I like your, your statement there that it's okay to, um, you know, make a decent living doing what you're doing uh, and making sure you're helping others as well as helping yourself at the same time. Um, so dad was an entrepreneur. What, what made you wanting to get, to get into the mental health industry? I felt that I grew up going to church, and I, mean, I still do, and I didn't feel like it was a topic of mental health in general was talked about, and uh, I didn't feel like in our, my family growing up there was a an awareness of how things affect us and how our mental health is affected by our behaviors, our disciplines, our relationships with others. And so it, I was always observing other people. Um, one of my strengths is I'm an analyzer, you know, from the strength finders. And I even, I took that in grad school, but looking back, I was always watching everybody and trying to understand them. And so I always wanted to know why people walked the way they walked, you know, or, you know, why they talked a certain way, because I always wanted to know where they were coming from and uh, back in high school, when I was 15 or 16, I had already decided that I would be a mental health counselor because of just wanting to help people, knowing that there was a story there that created the choices in life that they had been living, and I wanted to help those that didn't have those tools get better. And so it really influenced me, even as a kid, to like always wondering about the bigger why for people and really trying to help them dig into that so that they can you know work out of or develop new tools and habits so that they can be mentally healthy emotionally healthy relationally healthy um, spiritually healthy whatever because I just saw that there was a lot of people that just lived life without knowing how those things affected them that there was just this is what I was given and I can't change it. Yeah. So I wanted to be a part of that change with them. Yeah. I always love whenever I'm, I'm, if I'm talking to a client and I maybe doing like a psychoeducational piece and they, they say something like, well, I never knew that. I was never taught that. Yeah, and there's no shame in that. So I, I, do, I do like what you said, you know, being able to give those skills to people who through no fault of their own were never taught it. Um, and, and maybe through no fault of their parents or their peers, their teachers. But, you know, at some point, you got to learn something if you want to reach this goal. Mm. Um, so, Chris, just for you specifically, what are some of the specialties uh, you you do? If someone was wanting to come to you as a counselor, uh, what are some specialties and concerns that you cover? Uh, my particular uh, specialty is um, sex addiction, um, and those are problematic sexual behavior and trauma. Uh, I I dealt with porn addiction and so it's close to my you know my heart and so I was affected by it and I saw the the benefits of you know getting help and walking through recovery and so um, I know what the struggle feels like to be there and everything so it is definitely a um, I don't know if calling is the right word but there I'm emotionally invested in it you know because of it and so knowing the 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 failure and the process of change, you know, for that and the different work that it requires. And then with trauma, uh, I 
I was aware of the suffering in the world, and uh, in one and when I was working in community mental health, I became over a uh, mental health initiative for the whole agency where I looked at trauma and the effects of it and how it affected the system, both for the agency and then for an individual. And so it really began to like transform for me how trauma really uh, affects all aspects of life. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm all about like identifying the roots of things. And so trauma seemed to be a big part for me of understanding a lot of those roots. Mm -hmm. And so that's what drew me uh, when I became over that uh, initiative in um, 2016. So the trauma and sexual addiction has been a big focus of my practice since I began. And I really just love helping people, you know, understand what the roots are for sexual addiction, understanding, uh, like uh, Bruce Perry and Oprah just talked about in their new book, um, uh, like what happened to you. A lot of people, you know, like you just mentioned before, hearing from before, is that we're educating people psychoeducation. They don't realize that because they just assume everyone, you know, mm -hmm. has done or experienced those same things. And everyone has, but that's all. That's all the information that we have, and so you know, having a counselor, a book, a podcast, an article, a friend, you know, say you know that's not that's not right. That wasn't healthy, mm -hmm. you know, and so you know, really helping them know that they don't have to be a product of their past, but that there is a way out. And so trauma um, really is near and dear to my heart as a big part of the process of change uh, from, again, what I saw growing up and then what I saw, you know, pr uh, later on when I was working community nonprofits and when I was over that initiative for the, that agency. Yeah. And I, and I love, I love that you talked about the trauma piece. I, uh, when we talk about addiction, whether it's substances, sex, pornography, working too hard, you know, that could be an addiction, you know, something to busy your mind. Um, you know that that it, it sounds so cliched, but I think it's cliched for a reason. Like, let's get to the root of the problem. And I know for a lot of my clients, and I'm sure a lot of your clients, the trauma, you know, processing of the experience and just how that's changed. Well, everything, mm -hmm. everything. I, I know you know about how it changed the brain and and um, you know fight, flight, or freeze response and that stuff. So I, I love hearing you talk about. Let's get, let's look at why you're doing. Like you mentioned the why. Look, look at why you're doing this stuff. Not, not so much just saying, "Well, stop doing it." Let's find ways for you to stop doing it, because um, a lot of those people will just find something else to do yes. if, if you've yes. done that. Yes. So, Chris, now I wanted to jump into some uh, some specific private practice questions. Uh, and this, like I said, uh, for the listeners, this is going to be stuff that's going to be helpful for both clinicians as well as people uh, going into uh, therapy or trying to find a private practice clinician. I think one of the problems uh, that we face is a lot of people who don't know what you and I know as mental health professionals. Uh, what what do these letters mean? What what does it mean to pick a, a, a therapist that has done this training, this certification, this license? And so hopefully this will uh, help both clinicians and clients looking to get into private practice. And so for clinicians, uh, for some of those, and I was in this, this boat uh, earlier this year, who want to go into private practice, what are some of the main considerations they should take when, when going into private practice? Um, you really should consider um, that 
if you're a person that is willing to take risk. If you want something that is stable, you know, a paycheck, benefits, time off and everything, there's nothing wrong with that and there are jobs for that. But like when you decide to go into private practice, um, at least, you know, locally, I know that there's some age, uh, groups that may provide more of a, a salary. It's, it's, there, there are those, it's, from my experience, far and few between, but like you're often maybe working underneath uh, either a group or on your own and like you're the one covering all the expenses or, you know, if you're in a group practice, you, you are having the group owner cover some of those for you, but there's some still risk on your end. So like if you're, if you're willing to, you know, uh, endure those risks and understand that like building clientele when you don't have um, a, like you're, it's, you're not well known in the community, you haven't built your, mm-hmm. your uh, connections yet in whatever ways that like people know about you. I feel like you're talking about me right now, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for all of us, you know, yeah, that was like for me too. When I started, oh man, like uh, I, I, I didn't think I'd ever um, grow. Um, you know, it was disappointing uh, doing all the work and for years feeling like I was only seeing three to five, five to seven clients a week, you know. Mm-hmm for a year and a half, two years. And so yeah, it's it's you have to have a vision for the long game because if you're just looking for now, you know, you can get discouraged mm-hmm. in it and everything. And there is gradual growth that you have targets and goals and stuff. But if you go in thinking I'm gonna get 15, 20, 30, whatever your target is, number of clients you want to see a week, it's possible depending upon, you know, uh, the type of issues that you're focusing on. But if you're saying going through like something that's not well known in the community or you, you haven't found the right referral sources, then it may take longer to get to that ideal client number, you know, that you want to see weekly. Um, so that like you, there definitely should be an awareness of like, if I don't have this now, do I have either like savings? Do I does my can my uh, significant other um, support me during this time? You know, if we've talked about it and talked about the process it's going to take to get there, um, or otherwise, if you're by on your own, you know, you're you're not with someone, is that you do have to have contingency in place to know how long that process in time is going to take to get to where you know you how you want to live or what kind of you know income you want to bring in mm-hmm. now, I guess the biggest another big consideration is start with the end in mind one of uh, we were talking about um, practice of the practice podcast um, is one of the things that Joe Sanok talks about is create your ideal life and then build your practice around that mm-hmm. you know so when you're thinking about I want to see 15 to 20 clients, I want to make X amount of money. So then you already have a vision for it. So then if you charge whatever the market rate is in your local market, and then you have to look at how many do I need to see a week, you know, to see that, how many vacations I want to take a year, how much time I want to take off, because in private practice, you determine all that and there's no PTO, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that like starting with the end in mind, you know, so that you're not just uh, taking everyone that you have a phone call for is that you are 
you, you can really have a lot of flexibility and freedom in designing your ideal practice the way that you want it to be if you know, you know, what the long-term goals are and then, you know, uh, that it's going to take time to get there and then thinking about how, what kind of life you want to live, you know, mm-hmm. not just as a counselor, but like as a person, as self-care, as all these other things. And so like trying to craft that from the forefront and so you don't have, you're maybe struggling as much to set boundaries for like time off, you know, how much clients do I want, you know, what are my fees, but like, you know, you already have that goal in mind, mm-hmm. you know, all the other small steps then line up with that. And I like, you know, I like how you, you talked about, you know, that, that kind of work-life balance. Uh, and you mentioned Practice the Practice podcast. Highly recommend that podcast. Uh, I listened to an episode the other week. I'm drawing a blank on the, the woman that he interviewed, uh, but she said when I first started, I was seeing 35, 40 people evenings, weekends, and she was like, I just, it was too much. I got burnt out. Um, and she said, you know, I made the mistake of just wanting to go, 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 make money, see people, and it sounds like she didn't have kind of what you talked about the 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 end in mind like what do I want this to look like you know long term not just do I want to make money now get my hours now if you're an associate level uh, something like that I think that's a good segue to my next question um, and you mentioned you know are you well known in the area if someone mentions trauma does your name pop up in certain circles so when we're talking about marketing um, what's what what give me like one or two of your like main suggestions on how to market yourself as a private practice therapist? I think that like marketing is dependent um, on, you know, who you are as a counselor, you, you, you know, as an individual, um, you should do things in line with who you are as a person. Like if you're an extrovert, networking events are going to be fantastic for you, you know, but if you are an introvert, then there's a lot of emotional energy expended and it doesn't mean that that's not a good opportunity, but like your time may be better spent in like meeting people one-on-one, um, maybe doing presentations or doing things like podcasts or stuff. And, but like really, really knowing yourself and not doing just what everyone else is doing just because everyone else is doing it. You know, thinking about you know, who you are as a person and then looking at the different marketing strategies that exist for building private practice and then doing things that like you think about blogging, uh, doing podcasts, doing presentations to the community, getting on radio, getting on whatever it is. If those things, like you think about those different options, they overwhelm you. Don't, you know, don't do something that's out of your comfort zone, but like something that like it challenges, excites you, look into that, you know, and run after that, you know, because... I think that's that consideration thing that from the previous question is knowing who you are, a big part of like being in private practice is doing marketing and growing your business in different ways. And so you want to line up with things that reflect who you are as a person, mm-hmm. you know, and that excite you, you know, in different ways. Um, the other, um, you know, consideration is when you look at marketing um, strategies, don't shotgun everything and try everything that everyone else is doing because you look at your peers, you look at a large group practice, you look at, you know, whatever, you know, uh, uh, a well-known entity in your related field. Um, but like it took them a while to get there, you know, and comparison will kill your momentum, you know? So looking at small goals for, if you're starting say a podcast, looking at the results, not in like, in a month 
looking at like a three to six time month time period you know like is it generating it you know um bringing in clients or putting your name out there or if you're doing networking events if you're doing um psychology today is that not having just a get as many people as i can but more so does this really bring in the type of client that i'm most excited to work with you know so like if you only do it in a month increment then you can't see looking back of like reflection of is this really working for me is this really helping so if you go do everything that's out there for marketing then you can't let maybe track the results as well Mm -hmm. because you're not sure where they're coming from that you may have been spending too much energy on something that's not productive for you yeah so i would say that you know this is having again uh, the long term in mind as you attempt to engage in different marketing strategies yeah. you know and evaluate maybe three to five I, I don't forget what Joe again practice to practice keeps coming up is you know working on I think he says one to three or three to five or something at a time and so tracking the results over a three to six month time span and then not good returns and maybe you need to drop that one find something different mm-hmm. you know then and then maybe the ones that working pretty good what can you refine and make better and then add others? Mm-hmm. And it, I, mean, I, I feel like a lot of what you're saying is not just for uh, private practice therapists, but it sounds like, and maybe you got kind of, kind of got some of this from your, your father, the entrepreneur of, you know, just how to, how to reach those people. And, and, and I like what you said about, you know, marketing to people who uh, you want to work with. You know, I remember, I mean, you and I were both LPC, well, back then it was an LPCI, now it's an LPCA, and you need hours to get your full license, and at that time, I, I remember me going, I'll take anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want hours, I want experience. Um, you know, I was I was working one of those jobs where I got paid the same amount, 40 hours a week, and, uh, but I remember looking back and going, you know, some of these people, uh, they should have been referred to someone else. They were not the person that I wanted to work with, I was very good at working with, but and and I'll ask you about this kind of question in a second here. But you know, I I needed my hours, I needed my productivity up mm, for that kind of thing. Yes. Um. So, I know there's just in, in the in the time that I've started in private practice to now, there's been geez, so many things I've learned, so many mistakes I've made, um, and and whatnot. If you could pinpoint like one or two things that if you could travel back in time, you mentioned 2015, 2016. And tell your past self mm. something you know now that you wish you knew back then. What would those things be? Put yourself around a community of like-minded people. You know, it's one thing to listen to podcasts and articles and stuff. Um, it's another thing to like be around people that are idea creative, or you know, not as a creative type in like. Arts, art, artistic that's part of it is more so is that they're pushing themselves you know to grow you know if you're all if you're around like we were talking about earlier about clients and you know when you're thinking about considerations when you're looking into counselors um, private practice counseling counselors is uh, you are like the people you're around and so if you have a bunch of people that are growing and challenge themselves in understanding marketing, understanding business, understanding, you know, who they best work with, and they're always looking to get better and everything, that's motivating, you know? And, like, when you're close in proximity, that, like, that energy or, you know, that excitement for that for that kind of growth, like, is contagious, 
you know. And so I think putting yourself around a community of like-minded people is critical because of, um, you know, that 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 inspiration provides more growth for you. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, and that sounds like just you know you kind of mentioned the the intentionality of it, like. Uh, or that I think that might have been before we started recording, but you know, being more intentional about what you're doing and not just like you, you mentioned the shotgun, you know, method of uh, you know, I, I want to see everyone and everything at any time. I'm free this that. And it's like okay, well, you know, the, you use the term jack of all trades but master of none. Um, you know, and, and in other professions, you know, we see like the medical uh, field. You know, they have specialists. You don't. You, there's no doc, There's no one doctor out there who can operate on your brain, uh, fix your torn meniscus, and talk to you about your blood pressure, mm. um, you know, all at the same time, at, at the same uh, level of efficiency and proficiency as, you know, other other physicians, so, so yeah. Um, so, this next one is a little bit more for those listening to this episode that are thinking, maybe I want to talk to somebody, maybe I want to go see a therapist, but I have no clue to, where to start. So, uh, this is a two-part. The first part is... What, what are some of the main things clients need to be looking for when they're trying to pick a private practice therapist? And the second part of this is what red flags should people be aware of? I, you know, when you're going to um, counseling um, and starting this, that process, people should look at, at it as any other service, you know, getting uh, your hair done, getting plumbing done, you know, um, is that if you're not happy with it, you know, and you're, you're giving them opportunities to make things right, but things continue to stay, you know, not addressed, um, like that should carry over into counseling as well, is that there's not like a one-size-fits-all for counseling. And so sometimes people get into counseling and then, become vulnerable and think well I'm stuck and I don't really feel that like I don't want to open up to another person and start this process over but it's most important that the client feels that more important than what we that the counselor knows that's sitting in front of them is that if they can connect to them you know and they feel that like they really understand them as a person and so you know, if that doesn't, if that's not established, you know, in the first couple of sessions, then it won't matter what the counselor knows as much as do you feel comfortable with that person, mm-hmm. you know. And so, um, I, I would encourage people to, you know, if you don't feel like you can really open up and they feel like they get you and that um, you're connecting to them, then you may not be as open or trusting and transparent with that person not because they're not a good person or you don't like them it just may not be the best fit you know for you you know and so considering that so that because you're putting an investment of your time and money into you know addressing your mental health in in its various forms and so like it's it's considering it as an investment and are you getting a good return for the time and the money that you're putting in for Mm -hmm. yourself so I'm gonna throw you a curveball here, because uh, I've heard this a lot where people said, "Well, I saw this counselor for X amount of sessions, months, and I really didn't like them, or I didn't." But they say I didn't say anything about it, you know. Like, or or sometimes this happens. They said I just never went back to them. I just mm-hmm. didn't answer their phone calls. So if someone brought this up to you and they said, "Hey, Chris, look, 
you seem like a nice guy. I just don't feel like I'm getting, like you mentioned, that return on investment. I don't feel like I'm getting out of this what I want to be getting out of this. What would your response be if a client said that to you? I, I would attempt to address it and understand if like, you know, I'm, I'm always growing in a lot of different ways as a counselor in business. And so like personally, and so like I know that this could be opportunity for growth, you know, for me. And if I can't address it, you know, it's something that uh, we can do the evidence. I feel like it's a it's a way to model, you know, like healthy boundaries and healthy rela- uh, relational skills to a degree, you know, um, and address it with them. And if they feel that it it's not something that can simply just be talked through and uh, like, and then like we can renew the counseling relationship. Then at that time, like I would you know agree with them and you know refer them to another provider. Um, but like, you know, I th- again, that's where I think it's an opportunity for personal growth to show, you know, that to the, to the client, Hey, you know what? I'm not perfect, you know, and I'm going to grow with you. And, um, if you feel like you can't and you know, that's fine too, you know? So like leaving it open because I think that models, um, again, healthy boundaries that I can stand up for myself and ask for what I want, you know, and then a professional can respond, mm-hmm. you know? And if it still doesn't feel comfortable for them, if it, you know, then we take it from there and then provide appropriate referrals yeah. for that. And that's, you know, for those listening who are, are wanting to go into mental health services, who are in mental health services, that is part of the uh, the ethics that someone like Chris and myself do follow. Basically, if, if, if you come to me or Chris and we, we're saying, that's just not a level of competency for me, let me help you find someone else. Um, and so that kind of segues into my next, this is, so the second part uh, of this question, what red flags should people be aware of when they're looking at uh, uh, picking a therapist? If the counselor, you know, doesn't ask about your goals from the first couple of sessions and stuff, you know, you're going there for changes in your life. And so if there's not a goal, what are you working towards? You know, what are the things that have been given? Um, if they're not talking to you about how uh, they're going to, you know, address those those things that you're wanting to work on, like not just the goals, but the steps to get there. If they're not following up with you, I've had many a client where they've gone to other counselors in the past and they were given homework one time and then they never followed, were never followed up with. Or the counselor didn't work it out in therapy with them didn't explain it a lot or maybe role play with them a little bit you know it, because it, role play I don't think it's just to like um, for couple stuff or empty chair stuff um, as counselors do but more so it models again you know like you're teaching someone and sometimes teaching one time is not enough to, to gain mastery you know mm-hmm. and so if someone's not being shown that and then why you know are you better you know after the next session well, how much experience do they had practicing that? Yeah. You know? And so I think that, like, you know, it, I take this and I forget who said this, is there's no bad students, there's only bad teachers. Mm-hmm. You know? I, I know that um, as far as what a counselor can be responsible for is how good of a teacher are we, you know, to provide those skills on a continual basis for the client to feel competent in growing in. Yeah. So I think that, like, for the, the person seeking counseling services is 
how consistent are we discussing this so that I feel competent in whatever I'm trying to grow in. Yeah. And this is something that we were discussing before I hit the record button, uh, but I, I think it was a good topic. So I want to ask you, you know, one of the things we discussed is, you know, that counselor that says, I'll see anyone of any issue, any concern, any time. That sounds great. You know, uh, why, why is that a red flag? Someone who says, I see from zero to a hundred, you name the issue. I can, I can deal. I, I can work with you on that. Why is that a red flag? Because there's too much nuance in the different issues. I mean, some are connected. There are some similar skills for say, uh, depression, anxiety, but like if you deep dive into it even further, like there's even nuance amongst that. So like if you're, if you're running across someone that says they can do everything, then they may not have seen whatever issue that you're presenting with in its different presentations so that they know how to adapt whatever skills that they have for that particular problem for your situation. Mm-hmm. Because that, you know, just like we talked about in the, in the prior question of like the practice with on the client's end is the practice on our end. You know, we become experts. The more that we see that issue over and over again and become better, uh, better refined at it, you know? And so if you're coming to someone that see, says everything under the sun, then they might not know as much the nuance of like how to apply those skills for that particular issue because it looks different. You know, there's even slight variations among sex addiction you know, or trauma, you know, um, the skills may be the same for that, but like how it applies is, you know, is individualistic per the client, you know? Mm-hmm. So like the more you see it, the more practice you have, the, you know, the more that you know how to utilize it for that particular client. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. And, and, and I, I like that you said that because it, it, a lot of that stuff is interconnected, like you said, but, um, you know, if you're not, and again, that's the ethics part that one of our ethical boundaries uh, and guidelines we follow is if we're not competent in this, we should not be talking to you about it, and that should be a referral out. So, Chris, I got a couple more uh, questions before we wrap up today. Um, and uh, so, we've been talking for a little over 30 minutes, and I know people listening to this episode, you're not, me- you haven't memorized everything. So, if there's one piece of advice you would want to give to someone who's considering going into private practice, what would that advice be? Uh, you can earn a living and still help people at the same time. You know, uh, just because you want to help people grow doesn't mean that like it doesn't equate for being financially successful. You know. It, it doesn't mean that you have to be focused on that, but like that there is opportunity within the mental health field to be able to take care of your family, to live a life that you would like, you know, to enjoy. Um, and not that if again, you, uh, you make less, you don't, but that, you know, it, that they can coexist. They, they're, not, they're not independent of each other, or it's not like a dirty word to be able to take care of yourself or your family financially by being a mental health counselor, you know, or a mental health field in, in some form. And I have seen that, that dynamic come up where someone says, well, I need services, but I can't pay for them. Um, and, you know, the question there is, well, do I want to sacrifice my financial well-being to help somebody? You know, a lot of places will say, I'll take two pro bono people. Um, I have a certain amount of, of 
sliding scale spots. Um, but you know, just like we tell our clients, you deserve to take care of yourself. You deserve happiness. You deserve uh, your emotional, mental well-being. You know, therapists. I like what you said. You know, kind of you can do both. You can mm-hmm. help people as well as take care of yourself at the same time, and it's not a bad thing. Yes. Uh, to be able to do that. Yes. So we touched on some things that were helpful for both mental health professionals as well as some things that were helpful for you know, clients looking into this. And hopefully, you know, both, both sides of that coin uh, have been listening to both, uh, both sides of this interview. If there's one thing you want people to get out of today's interview, what's that one thing? Never stop growing. You know, all of us can grow. Um, it is, we determine it by our mindsets like how we wake up every day, whatever it's in, as a counselor, as a client, in a profession, in a relationship, um, is that we only stop growing when we tell ourselves nothing can change, and nothing can get better. Um, it may feel like that in the beginning if you've been doing something for a long time, but like you follow that train of thought out, then. You, things will be the same a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. And so just by focusing on one thing you want to change and you start to gain competency or that seeing success and, and, and motivation that you can do things, then you, it starts to encourage you that you can do more. So like, you know, allowing growth to be a part of your mindset in all areas of your life. I like that. Yeah. I know that people have said something like, the day I stop learning is the day I need to quit doing what I'm doing. Um, so, so I like that. Well, Chris, thank you so much. If people wanted to get in contact with you for counseling services, how can they find you? They can uh, go to a new counseling uh, and sign up uh, with for a 15 minute consult with uh, our practices intake coordinator. Um, they can also call the uh, practice number at 817 as well um, to get set up that way so and then we'll get them set up from there perfect and for those of you who are like me who listen to podcasts in the car on the way to work or driving uh, and you're not able to write that down that information will be available um, on my Facebook page my Instagram page as well as my website youareworthitcounseling.com so if you're not able to write that down I will have that information uh, available hello and welcome to episode 14 of 6 Minute Counselor I'm Gary, and I'm your host. Today we're doing another interview, and we are interviewing Chris McMullen. Chris is a licensed professional counselor and has got quite a few different certifications behind his name, so bear with me with these. He is a certified sex addiction therapist, or a CSAT. He's trained in CPT, which is a therapy for trauma, CBT, EMDR, another trauma therapy, and is a Gottman-trained couples therapist. Chris is the group practice owner of A New Counseling in Fort Worth, Texas. Chris is passionate about normalizing the process of getting help. He believes that counseling isn't for the broken or weak, but for everyone and anyone who'd like some help reaching goals or discussing concerns they may have. Chris believes that there's no shame in reaching out for help, and we'd like to see that stigma go away. So this interview that I did with Chris, it is geared a little bit more towards clinicians who are either in private practice, interested in going into private practice, but there's also some really good tidbits for those just interested in what is a private practice therapist. As always, I'll have all the information for Chris, his website, how to contact him on my website, youareworthitcounseling.com, as well as my Facebook and Instagram pages. Hope you enjoy the interview. ...to you in local uh, or, or several different places. 
So Chris, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time out of your very busy schedule to sit down and chat with me, and I hope you all enjoyed the interview. Thanks, Gary. And now a disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional mental health diagnosis or treatment. If you have serious questions or concerns about your mental health, please speak with a mental health professional or other qualified health providers with any questions you may have regarding your mental health.